Hey, everybody. Welcome to the green room for Disrupt TV. Uh, we are on episode 351. I'm here with my amazing co-host, Bala Ashtar, and of course, some great guests. We're going to introduce our guests in uh, reverse order of appearance. And what we'll do is ask them where they're coming in from and what they're talking about. And briefly, we'll hit that. And then, of course, we will kick off the show. So Eric and Alan. Eric, where are you coming in from? What are we talking about today? Ah, great to see you. Uh, coming in from San Diego, we're talking about uh, our new book, uh, Learned Excellence. Oh, I can't wait to read that. Alan, what are you talking about in Learned Excellence, and where are you coming in from? I'm Ray. Uh, happy to to be here. Uh, thank you for having us on the show. I'm joining you from Los Altos, California, which, as you and I can both agree, is the heart of Silicon Valley. Or maybe we'll agree to disagree on that. Uh, and as Eric mentioned, he and I are very excited to talk about our new book, Learned Excellence, which comes out on Monday. Ooh, we're getting the preview, everybody. That is awesome. So, Carmen, where are we coming in from, and what are we talking about? I am coming in from Cape Cod in Massachusetts today, and uh, I'm looking forward to talking about some of the trends that we're seeing in learning and development, uh, especially as organizations are starting to build AI skills within their teams. Oh, it's going to be super uh, important for everyone to do that. Crawford, welcome back. Uh, where are you coming in from? How's it going, guys? Great to see you. Uh, I'm coming in from just up the road from Carmen, a place called Needham, Massachusetts, where IDC's headquarters is, uh, just outside of Boston. Um, and so just thrilled to be talking with you guys today. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about IDC's core business, about what we cover here at IDC, which is uh, IT in the context of economic demand, what's hot in technology, and of course, wait for it, AI. <laughs> oh, AI. What do you mean? What is AI? So, anyway. uh, so look forward to catching up with you guys. Thanks, Carl. One of the top analysts at one of the top analyst firms, if not most of the foremost analysts in the space. So it's going to be amazing. Okay, with that, we're going to do the countdown. Um, and I will do the countdown and we will kick off the show. So three, two, one. Welcome. Thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar. I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host for the next hour. We welcome you to follow us on X at Disrupt TV Show, uh, and we'll do our best to answer any questions you have in the hour. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host, Ray Wong. He's the CEO and founder of Constellation Research, best-selling author of Everybody Wants to Rule the World. I see Ray on TV. Ray, I think it's like daily now, everywhere. Fox Business, Yahoo Finance, CNBC News, Bloomberg. 
In my opinion, Ray's one of the top futurists to follow on X at RWANG0. Welcome, Ray Wong, from India to Disrupt TV. Hey, you're right, Bala. I'm live here from Bombay, but hey, thanks for having me here. It's Bala Ashgar, the Chief Digital Evangelist for Salesforce. He's also the author of his amazing new book called Boundless, A New Mindset for Unlimited Business Success. It's been available at one of the top sellers on Amazon, but more importantly, executives around the world follow his inspirational, insightful tweets. He's speaking and keynoting everywhere around the world, and more importantly, when he's not doing that, he's putting out his insightful analyses on outlets like ZDNet and, of course, on Bloomberg Television. So, hey, thanks for being on the show. And of course, we've got some amazing guests. Who do we have to come back and kick it off? We have a first ballot Hall of Fame Disrupt TV inductee uh, who arguably helped launch our podcast February eight years ago. He was guest two on our show. Probably wasn't available for the first show or he would have been guest one. <laughs> Crawford Del Preds, president of IDC. Uh, prior to his current role, Crawford served as IDC's chief operating officer throughout his career. IDC has established itself as a leading uh, world's most prominent and trusted technology market intelligence provider. Crawford is a leading authority on the IT industry and has completed extensive research on structure and evolution of information technology industry. He's, he's like you. He's frequently quoted in a publication, Wall Street Journal, Financial Times, New York Times. He's on TV uh, on a regular basis. I see him on Bloomberg Technology TV all the time. He was guest number two on our show, so thank you for launching our show eight years ago. He's an incredible follow on X at Craw, again, early adopter, C-R-A-W. Welcome, Craw. Welcome back, Craw. Great to see you guys. How are you, Ray? Thanks for dialing in from, from India, and uh, both of you, uh, well, uh, thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. I look forward to this, and uh, again, it's so great to catch up with you guys uh, on this format. Um, I, I just think what you guys do is wonderful. I appreciate it, and I know the world appreciates it, so thank you. Thank you, sir. You're very, very kind. We really thank you for that. Hey, you know, you guys look at forecasts at the beginning of the year. People rely on your forecasts for almost every part of their business, uh, especially from the business and technology angle. I want to really stop to ask you, like, where are we? What's economic demand look like? And let's start there and, and kind of paint us the picture of what you yeah. see happening in 2024 based on your forecast. You know, Ray, it is such an uncertain time and, and people need to be comfortable with this uncertainty. We do uh, very, very regular waves of surveys. Um, we can go back a year, we can go back two years in terms of IT sentiment. Uh, we aggregate economic forecasts all over the world. And right now we're expecting GDP demand to be between one and a half and, and two, maybe a little bit over 2%. Uh, but rounding to 2% overall GDP demand for, wow, uh, for this year. so low? What's going on? Yeah, so so again, we have a lot of downward pressure uh, right now in, in, in terms of total demand. And I think what we also do is we survey IT leaders. So we can go back um, a couple of years and look at sentiment um, really since we came out of, of COVID. And what we see is that um, actually the expectation that demand will be lower than, 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 than people think has actually increased over time. If I go back about a year, about 30% of IT leaders think that thought that annual GDP would be lower than expectations. That crept up to 50% in the middle of last year, and now it's come back down to about 40%. And those that think it'll be higher was about half of the market a year ago. Now it's about a quarter of the market. But to be fair, about half of the market thinks it'll be about where, um, 
uh, forecasts are, or maybe a little bit better, and uh, the rest think it'll be uh, worse, uh, or 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 maybe maybe uh, a little bit, um, you know, the same or worse. And so there's just I, I think what the way I take apart this data, and we can cut it by region, we can cut it by all kinds of different um, uh, dimensions, is that there's just no certainty about the amount of uncertainty. That's that, that people have to deal with. They have to deal with oil shocks. They have to deal with a prolonged war in the Ukraine. They have to deal with uh, a, a war in Israel. Um, and these are all exogenous events that uh, are compounded by the fact that we are dealing with an, the end of free money. We're dealing with an extraordinary rise in interest rates over the last two years. And now we're dealing with you know, fighting inflation and, 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 and getting inflation down and getting interest rates down. And we all know, as the old saying goes, inflation and interest rates tend to go up like a rocket and they come down like a feather. And that's makes it very, very challenging to try to figure out when we're going to get back to uh, a certain set of normalcy. Now, well, we also, oh, go, ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was that we also have half of the world's uh, population electing a leader. Uh, this year, the other half can't vote. I'm just kidding. But we're actually <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that's right. And so we have a tremendous amount of of political uncertainty, and then we have the geopolitical uncertainty, or even balkanization that we've seen between you know relations between China and the West, and that of course complicates things. Um, but you know what? In that whole um, context and backdrop. What's also very interesting to me is that we believe that, let's just pick a number, let's call it 2% for GDP growth. We think IT growth will actually be better this year. And IT growth will be, we think, between 6 and 7% oh, wow. um, for all categories together. And so what this underscores is what you write about in your book, what Vala talks about in his book, that IT has never been more critical to the central nervous system of enterprises, and 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 you have to invest in it if you're going to get productivity gains, if you're going to get, uh, if you're going to be able to delight your customers, and if you're going to be able to be a modern company. What IDC clients love about your research is the level of specificity and precision in terms of segmentation across all the various categories, industries, geographies, technologies. Like, can we deep dive into this six to seven percent increase? Where is this IT demand coming from? What are the what are the top categories? And I suspect I know one of the categories. But uh, what do you think it's going to be? Well, I read I read uh, religiously IDC blogs and research, and the prediction that most recently came out from IDC was spending on AI solutions will surpass a half a trillion dollars, five hundred billion dollars in the next in the next three years. Uh, so. I certainly yeah. know one category that's white hot. Yeah, absolutely. But, but, uh, <laughs> no, AI, AI growth is going to is is going to be you know continue to be very very high, um, and and we're going to see sustained double digit growth in that category. Uh, we're going to see between twenty five and thirty percent growth sustained between now and and the 2026, 2027 timeframe. If I look at some of the bigger categories, um, you know, it, it, there's some very interesting stories in the data. Um, Infrastructure as a service, right? We have such huge expectations. That's what we saw in the market this week around whether it be Microsoft, whether it be uh, Amazon. Sat, um, infrastructure as a service will still grow over 20%, we believe, this year in terms of dollars. Now, that was growing at 30% 
a year and a half ago, but still over 20% growth market. Um, we'll see uh, overall software. So AI is a subset of that, sure. but overall software will still grow uh, at, at, at over 10%, maybe between, let's call it 12, 13%. And then we'll see some of the core infrastructure categories, you know, things like servers, things like storage, those will grow uh, over 10%. Um, and then we'll see core IT services, they'll grow between four, four and a half percent. And then interestingly, and again, this is a category that the world has left for dead historically, right? You take a category like PCs, you're talking about 300 million units that every man, woman, and child who's connected to the internet and has the means to buy, they tend to sell between 600 and 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 the ones volibis are like 3,000, but you know the ones that are that are that are that are. I have large language models running. Yeah, they're like, you know, it's like model run. But, but, but again, even even running with six, seven hundred dollars up to eleven hundred dollars. PCs are going to grow about 3% this year. Now, that may sound like a snooze fest, but let me tell you, this is a category that was dropping over 10% over the last couple of years. 3% growth in PCs adds a point of growth to overall IT demand. Wow. So wow. very, very significant as we see that market start to flip back. Um, so that just gives you a context of, of where we expect to see some of the growth. And that's including the refresh cycle, which is huge, right? I mean, the PCs that actually have to happen. So yeah, it is, and 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 we've done a lot of analysis on that refresh cycle, and 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 we expect to see Ray. So it's 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 actually fascinating. Windows upgrades are absolutely a thing, right? So whether it be Windows Seven, where we saw a spike in demand, uh, of, you know, anywhere from the market was growing at about ten percent, it grew to about twenty five percent. Um, Windows XP, that end of that end of the life in uh, in 2014, um, there we saw a spike again from about market shrinking about 10% to growing about 10%. What's fascinating about the upgrade cycles for Windows is that the the spike happens about three quarters before the upgrade. Wow. Uh, sorry, about four quarters before the upgrade. So we are expecting that th you'll see an, uh, an an end of service. Um, probably in about the fourth quarter of next year, but we'll see that spike starting at the end, middle to end of this year, and we'll start to see demand start to ramp up um, associated with PCs as, as enterprises get ready for that upgrade. That's pretty important. Now, along with those forecasts, you typically talk about tech adoption uh, and some of the tech adoption trends that you're seeing. Um, PCs are part of that uh, tech adoption refresh. What else is hot? And of course, now's the time to talk a little bit about AI, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, so every every year we 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 go out and we talk to enterprises and we ask, you know, where do you have to invest? What are the categories that you got to invest in? If you don't invest in them, you're you're really um, gonna gonna fall behind. It's interesting to compare those things year over year. Top of the list over everything else is actually not AI, and I don't think this will Ooh. be a surprise to you. Security. Security oh, is is absolutely the highest category. It was the last it was the highest category last year. It's the highest category again. What's moved into the number two category is actually IT infrastructure and making sure you have that resilience infrastructure. Um, number three, wait for it, <laughs> AI. <laughs> AI jumped onto the list, uh, came onto the list, and, and and it's a category AI and automation everyone's focused on. And then four is app development, what I would argue is related to AI. And then sure. five is the workplace and investing in my workplace for the future of work um, and being able to provide a modern workplace as my workers start to figure out the right balance for them. 
I saw a TV interview with you recently where you talked about the importance of companies' data and how it's worth more today than perhaps ever before. And maybe the jobs to be done are the same, but we're using technology to improve speed to value and personalization and intelligence and real-time ability to engage with stakeholders. When you talk about infrastructure improvements or application development and all infused with machine learning capabilities, how much of uh, how much is data on the top of mind and use of data and, and analytics uh, when you when you when you're when you're engaged with CXOs? Yeah, so it's interesting, Vala. So we've now crossed over a threshold. We crossed over this threshold um, about uh, in 2020, and that threshold is that uh, now we've got more than uh, half of the uh, two thirds of the GDP. So crossed over that threshold is now in data dense products and services. So these are in connected products and wow. services that wow. drip data, um, and and this data can be harvested. And smart companies are making really, really um, valuable decisions about the whole life cycle of their product. And what's fascinating is that so many companies aren't taking advantage. They're not writing the applications to take advantage of data. So we actually did a survey and, and, and spoke to our customers about how, 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 what is the half-life of your data? And it's fascinating. 75% of the companies we surveyed across the world, their data loses value within days. And 50% days, days, days. days. If they can't act on that data within days, it gets better. Half of their data loses significant value within hours, right? So now you're thinking about the ability to act on that data, whether that's, you know, Boeing being able to act on data mm. uh, and, and, and they could end up in a tragic situation or whether that's a food service company being able to act on data that could also end up people getting sick or getting ill, or it's an optimization um, question. So this idea of being able to act on data, it's only going to compound as we start thinking about a world where AI is helping us and assisting us in making more business critical decisions. Because it's the old adage, garbage in, garbage out, always and still will apply. Well, that's Before you, real... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I just, I just wanna just kind of put a little wrapper around this use of data because when, you, when I look at IDC news, recent news, 2024 uh, predictions, um, by 2028, Gen AI-based tools will be capable of writing 70% of software tests. Of course, that's real-time yep. need. Refactoring. Uh, Gen AI tools and cloud services provide platforms to initiate and execute 50% of code conversions and development tasks in the next three years. Intelligence apps. Uh, by 2026, more than 50% of consumers will employ AI through mobile devices to discover right. Number of developers are going to double. Uh, by 2026, maturation of Gen AI technologies catalyzed accelerated growth of world's developers. So this shelf life of only days and hours, if not put into use, or let me say it differently, the folks that are going to put it into use are going to have these incredible capabilities. How do you compete with companies that right now are investing in, in data infrastructure and hyper-automation so that they can deliver value at the speed of need. I just think companies are in trouble if they're not actually getting companies like yourself consulting them saying, get in the game. You're in trouble. If you're not investing in your data, if you're not structuring your data. So when we think about the top barriers to investing in generative AI, so all the things you mentioned, Vala, obviously we agree with because those are our predictions, but the reality is you're going to see software development massively transform. 
But when we think about companies and taking advantage of their data and using LLMs, the barriers, one of the top barriers that comes up to using generative AI is the companies don't have the quality of their data in, in, in a place where they need to be able to make decisions off of it. And so the companies that haven't been investing in their data, they need, they got a real problem. They have to invest in order to structure their data in order to make better decisions going forward. Because that's a problem that um, you really can't start taking advantage of these massive productivity gains that we're going to get if you're not investing in those areas. Now, security, privacy, those are all things that are also tops on the list. But I think that um, th there is a silver lining here. The good news is, is once you get your data straight, we're going to see two things happen in generative AI. Generative AI is not going to be the same market that we've seen in the past, where you have to kind of roll your own and you have to kind of build your own model. Large companies will be able to do that. But just like the company you work for, Avala, you're going to see leading software companies roll out features that take advantage of generative AI. And so those companies that are investing in those modern platforms overnight will begin to take advantage of generative AI and the assist that they get in their modern in their workflows that'll become modernized in a way that will allow them to catch up very very rapidly. True. I will say that you got to buy into the modern platforms. You got to be thinking about how you can automate your tasks, um, even if you're a mid-sized company. Because if you don't, you know, not participating is a recipe for going out of business. Right. We actually, and there's that data scarcity that you're talking about to put a wrapper on what, what was said, right? You might not have enough data to get to level precision that your stakeholders are going to trust. And this is going to be a huge issue going forward with no, without a data strategy, you don't get to play. So, Absolutely. You've amazing. been talking about this Crawford for 10 years. I mean, I mean, <laughs> I mean honestly, no, no, no. I'm just saying like, yeah. you know, I mean, it, you, you obviously advise my company on a, on a, on a weekly daily basis, but I hope people are listening because this is, I, I just, it's, 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 you're not going to survive. It, it, and no, and I don't mean to no, sound and, gloom and, and doom. I'm, I'm an optimist no, 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 by nature. Actually, what I'm trying, and, and the story that I really want to leave people with is, it's this very optimistic story. We are yeah. going to see massive productivity gains from generative AI. We are going to redefine work. Actually, let me just leave you with one prediction that you didn't mention, Vala, which is by 2027, 40% of current job roles will be redefined or eliminated in G2000 yeah. organizations. Wow. Yeah, we're predicting, we're predicting the biggest white collar recession in places like India by 2027. So some yeah, major Yeah, but 40% of jobs are gonna be completely transformed. Yeah. They're gonna be completely yeah. transformed. Do you, do you remember when the three of us all entered the workforce and that personal computer was new on the desk? But before yeah. that, there was a typing pool. <laughs> Before that, there was middle management that used to be shuffling paper with your inbox and outbox, all that, that all that whole layer of management. Hey, I like my Selectric. <laughs> yeah, the ball. Remember the ball? Yeah, yeah. Listen, now ball everybody no runs flat. their business on this, you know? You're right. You're right. right. You're right. And, and right. so I think there's going to be a whole other gain, a whole significant productivity gain. Thank you so much. We're with Crawford Del Pratt, president of IDC. You can follow him on Twitter at Crawl. We've had 5,000 people watching already live organically. This is pretty crazy. Thank you for being on the show. Great to Crawl, see you guys. You. I, wish you, I wish you well, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, sir. Uh, one of the smartest people I know and uh, an incredible advisor to my company and uh, one of my favorite guests. <laughs> he drops a lot of nuggets. You know, I got to watch this show on the weekend just so I can recap. Uh, all of Crawford's uh, forecasts and guidance. 
Well, we get the best and brightest on the show, and no exception for our next guest, Carmen Viteri, CMO of O'Reilly Media. For over 40 years, O'Reilly's mission has been to change the world by sharing knowledge of, of innovators. Uh, the O'Reilly Learning Platforms offers uh, exclusive live training, interactive training, certification experiences, amazing books. Uh, if you're a technologist, you have O'Reilly books, <laughs> videos and more, making it easier for customers to develop uh, the expertise they need. All the stuff Crawford talked about, you know, we're responsible for helping uh, folks learn and implement. Uh, uh, Carmen is the chief marketing officer we, uh, and he joined O'Reilly in 2017. Um, Carmen oversees O'Reilly's demand generation activities, engagement marketing for its platform users, sales enablement support, brand development, and, and, and creative execution. All the roles of a CMO, I probably left 20 other things that Carmen is responsible for. Uh, prior to O'Reilly, Carmen held marketing strategy roles at you know, small companies like CBS Health and, and Virgin Money. I welcome Carmen to Disrupt TV. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Great to have you. Yeah, we're really excited to have you. And, and you know, one of the hottest spaces right now is how do we actually learn in the age of remote work, learn in the age of AI, learning, and we see reskilling, skilling, and development, something really hot. You know, what's happening in this L&D space is learning and development, especially from the front lines, because you're there all the time. Yeah, I can share a little bit about some of the big things that we're seeing right now. Um, you know, first, we're hearing from our customers that they're very much focused on on outcomes, um, more so than anything else. You know, what are the skills that their teams are building and how they attain those skills? How do they prove that they've attained uh, those skills? You know, building on what Craw was saying, let's say that you're an organization that's looking to adopt AI. It's not just about AI. It's about the data and the data quality that you have. It's about the cloud infrastructure. It's about the software architecture that's going to support all of that. And so there's a whole set of skills associated with all of those disciplines that organizations want to see that their teams are, are building. And so our customers are really asking us to be able to guide users to those skills, um, show progress on how they're building those skills, and then prove that they have it. And so over the last year, to meet that need, you know, we've been adding things like quizzes to all of our on-demand and live courses. Mm -hmm. We have started to issue open badges so that our users can prove that they actually have that credential or that associated skill after they've gone through some of those coursewares. And then we are starting to really build out um, progress reporting so organizations can see what their teams are doing from a skills development standpoint. The other big thing that we're seeing is that um, the way that people are interacting with learning content has really shifted, right? It used oh, yeah. to be organized by topic, um, or you'd use search to go and figure out what course was relevant for you. And now, you know, I've been calling that more of a, a shift towards guided discovery. So everything is now organized by role, and each role has an associated set of skills uh, with that that um, uh, users may want to be able to study in. And so, you know, if we use an example of that, let's say you're an individual contributor as a software developer, and you are moving towards a managerial role where you start to um, manage a team. Now you need skills, things like communication, leadership skills, the ability to set goals for your teams and presentations. You can now come to a learning platform like O'Reilly and uh, indicate that that's the shift that you've made and we can guide you towards the right learning content but also hey, help you make some decisions along the way. Um, things like, are you a beginner in this area? Are you an immediate? What's your preference for learning? Do you wanna read from an O'Reilly book? Do you wanna take a live course on that? Do you wanna watch a long and a non-demand video so that you can get the right content uh, that works best for you? All of that lets organizations start to build towards an internal talent marketplace. 
you know, Carl was sharing a lot about the growth in IT spending. And, uh, you know, there are a lot of forecasts around talent shortages, particularly within the tech space. So understanding within your organization what skills you have and what members of your team have those skills really give you the ability to resource projects appropriately when you can go and see who has this skill, who's gone through the content and um, earned uh, the skill improvement in along the way so that you can resource the work appropriately. Yeah. The, go ahead. the last big thing that I can uh, share is a little bit about some of the trends that we're seeing in the topics and skills that people are, are looking at. It's no surprise, um, but in the annual report that we released last week around some of the uh, top content used on the platform, GPT content was up 3,600% uh, year over year. Um, we're seeing a lot more natural language processing that was up almost 200% in usage on the platform. Cloud native content was up 175%. You know, we tend to focus very much on tech. Um, and so, you know, O'Reilly has a long history there. <clears throat> it was really interesting to me when this year's report came out, though, we're seeing a lot of um, leadership skills growth in content usage. So communication skills were up 23%, professional development, 20, more than 20% growth, project management had 13% growth in some of the content that we were seeing. 3,600%. Uh, yeah. So when you hear NLP up nearly 200% and your mouth drops, then you hear 3,600%. Uh, you know, but, but, but it's, it's absolutely, you know, uh, this is the uh, 2024 O'Reilly Tech, Tech Technology Trends Report. Um, yep. And, uh, you know, I'm in front of CXOs, much like you two, uh, and uh, talent and, and skills uh, shortage and development is always in the top three um, uh, uh are challenges that these CXOs face. Um, integration issues typically come in, come up. Um, data, data. It looks like only four percent of enterprise data is ready for AI usage. So there's incredible amount of work that needs to be done there. But then talent, um, and of course keeping and retaining talent too. It's not just developing talent, but once you have, you know, your ML and prompt engineering expert, they're very much in demand. <laughs> so so so. Tell us about how O'Reilly is helping companies in an affordable way, in a quick way, <laughs> because the sense of urgency seems to be as at the highest level I've, I've, I've witnessed, uh, reskill, upskill uh, employees. Yeah. So, <clears throat> you know, we're following this quite closely and we're following a lot of the market data around this. You know, I think McKinsey last year put out some content uh, in their annual technology uh, trends outlook that there's significant supply and demand imbalances around some key talent. You know, yeah. I think there was, uh, they indicated something like one skilled person for every 10 job openings in AWS. And the same was true for new and emerging roles like compliance roles around AI. The World Economic Forum Future of Jobs report said that skilled technology workers are some of the most in demand. So all of that data suggests that hiring talent for these skills is gonna be really challenging over the course of the coming decade, and they're gonna be in short supply. Uh, I think the other implication of that with big supply and demand uh, imbalances is that hiring is gonna be really costly. You know, if you think about the time that it takes for your talent acquisition team to be able to find the right candidate for a role, the time you're taking your existing engineering or tech team uh, to go to interviews rather than actually um, uh, working in their day job, the time it takes to ramp the individual that you hire, we're seeing some estimates that the cost to hire in some of these roles could be as high as $40,000 or more. And so in many cases, it's going to be a lot more sensible to um, uh, upskill your existing team than to be able to um, hire for those roles. Otherwise, it becomes really costly. 
we see a lot of reports that, um, and hear feedback regularly, that individuals want to work for companies that are willing to invest in them. And so providing solutions to be able to upskill, um, continue to build those skills in an ongoing basis, providing tools like O'Reilly that uh, support learning as you're doing your job and helping you do some problem solving, um, really help to drive employers as places of choice where people want to work um, and helps to drive retention of those employees as well. You know, those are great points and, you know, related to that, along with the leadership, along with, you know, what skills people need to do. Uh, one of the biggest topics is really AI and ethics uh, and how organizations can look at AI and adopting it in a safe and ethical way. Uh, give us your viewpoint. What how are people doing that and how are folks training the workplace uh, and workforce to do this in a responsible way? Yeah, and you know maybe I start a little bit with how O'Reilly is approaching this because we think it's really important to lead by example here. So we've integrated AI into our platform in several ways in the last few years, and we've been cautious about doing that in a pretty safe and, and ethical way. Um, and you know there's certainly different flavors of AI, right? And generative AI is probably posing new challenges more so than any of the AI that we've adopted so far. You know, as we started to continue to expand the use of AI in the platform, I think the first step was to educate ourselves. You know, we're a learning company after all, right? And so we had a team that pretty worked pretty closely across several departments to understand the regulatory issues around this. What's the view of our content creators, our authors, the talent that's contributing all of our learning content? What's the financial impact on some of these things? And how is the technology actually gonna be implemented? We as an organization tend to work from a really strong set of values, and we really want to do the right thing for each of our stakeholders. And in the case of AI, particularly generative AI, we want to make sure that the content contributors that we are working really closely with who have crafted the underlying work and providing source material and training for some of the AI models, that they're getting compensated for that um, every time it gets used uh, among our learners. We're also thinking about some of the other stakeholder groups, right, as we start to craft our own policies around that. So what are the guidelines for our authors on how they can use generative AI to help them in their work? Um, and then, of course, what are the rules for our employees on how they can use Gen AI uh, in their everyday tasks as well? All of that came together in an AI policy that we published in uh, November, and it's live on the homepage of O'Reilly.com, um, along with a note from our president, Laura Baldwin, on why uh, we felt like this was really important to do. Um, but we're definitely looking at ways that we can compensate our talent for um, anything that comes out of the generative AI models that we're using inside our platform. Um, yeah, so first thing you see on your website on the upper yeah. left. Yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty there. It's awesome. The other thing there is all the content that we're putting out inside the platform, right? So we certainly want to be educating the same way. You know, while we're doing this ourselves, we're bringing that content to the organizations and customers that are using our platform. And so there's a whole series of lab events that we put into the platform um, that focuses on Gen AI in different verticals like finance, healthcare, government. We've been putting together some short form audio podcast type series on AI and how organizations are adopting it, putting in um, uh, real world use cases so that they can see how others are doing it. And then we're publishing a number of books uh, on this and those are available in early release in the platform. It's something that we're watching really closely too. Yeah. Uh, it's moving so quickly. And so, you know, we are unique, I think a little bit in the learning space by having that live event format. We're spinning up talks on this on a regular basis um, and bringing them to our learners in the platform so that they can hear from experts on how they're doing it in their organization. I'd love to be a fly on the wall, just listening to the professional development folks. Like, 
debating and discussing, like, what is this going to look like five years from now? I have a 13-year-old, so he's going to go to high school next year, and then he'll spend four years in high school. I imagine five years from now, and he's a freshman in college, like, is he fetching information purely in a con conversational way? And it's all semantic search, so it's super personalized. The, the, the system, whichever system he's using, understands everything about him because it's ingesting unstructured data as well as, you know, you know, professional learning management structured data. So the career pathing and the advice and even how you consume information, and he's an incredibly visual learner, uh, like his dad, but even how you convey the output in formats that are best for you, for the individual person. What are your thoughts? Like, yeah, you know, uh, of, of how the nature of learning is going to change with technologies like 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 Gen AI. Yeah, I mean, just like you're describing, I think AI affects everything, right? And it, it's it's really thinking about that user interface, right? What is going to be the way that we access information um, in the future? I mean, I feel like we've seen a few different major user interface transitions over the course of the last several decades. My first computer had a DOS prompt, and then we moved to graphical <laughs> user interfaces, yeah. uh, and then the iPhone with touch. And, and now everything feels like it's moving towards this idea of the prompt, and that prompt might be voice-based or it might be text-based. Yeah. Um, and rather than getting an organized list of results, like we're accustomed to getting from a search engine, we're getting a really specific answer to the question that we put in that is contextually relevant, but it's also personalized for us as yeah. individuals. And as we think about how that might apply to the learning space, I think there's a number of different ways that that can come to life. Um, we actually introduced a um, search feature into our learning platform in 2020 that we call O'Reilly Answers. And it really was just the, a prompt. How, what question do you have? How can oh, I help? Very cool, very cool. Um, and that was based on BERT, one of the early large language models. Um, but somebody could come and put a question in like, how do I set up a data lake on Azure? And we would surface a specific paragraph or section of a piece of written content on the platform and would give you five different choices. But you wouldn't have to search through a list of results to figure out which is best for you, um, would give you those five cards and you can figure out which best answered your question to help you learn in the flow of work essentially, right? Rather than turning to another solution where you're getting user generated sure. content or having to search through Google, here it is from a trusted uh, source. And I think we continue to move in that direction, uh, especially with Gen AI, right? How do we use the underlying trusted content that we have in the platform, but present our users with an answer so that they can get the information that they need at that moment that they really uh, need it. It We've doesn't surprise me that O'Reilly was doing this really two and a half years before the world woke up to the power of Gen AI. I mean, using foundational models in 2020, that's that's awesome. That's uh, yeah. Kudos to you. That's great. Go ahead. Thank you saying. for your own champagne. Look at that. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that doesn't surprise me. I mean, it, it's where the innovators go to share knowledge. By the way, my last question for Carmen will be, what do Ray and I have to do to become O'Reilly authors? I mean, just give us the <laughs> give us the recipe and let us go do our work. But anyway, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to interrupt you. you. <laughs> yeah. So we're exploring generative AI with learning in a few other ways. So um, last fall, we introduced a beta feature um, that integrates with some of our um, text-based content on the platform. Oh, awesome. So there's something like a snippet of code in one of the pieces of content that's out there and you're trying to learn something like, let's say a new programming language, the Gen AI uh, code explainer there can do a couple of different things to help with the learning um, of that. 
So first, let's say you're familiar with one programming language and learning another, it can translate it to from the language you're learning to the language you're familiar with. So you can see the variations in syntax and start to break it down with something that's familiar to you. If you're more comfortable with natural language to understand how you can do that, it can turn it into natural language for you. So it's really personally tailored to get to what you what what actually learners want to be able to do. So that's pretty powerful. We're here with Karim Vajiri, Chief Marketing Officer at O'Reilly Media, yeah, one of the top publications and learning sites in the world. Thank you so much for being on the show and happy Friday. Yeah, Thank thanks for having me. Cheers. Love seeing CMOs that are technical, uh, helping businesses grow. Okay, so this is, uh, you know, folks that are familiar with baseball, this is the cleanup hitter spot where guests usually come and hit a grand slam and there's no exception here. So uh, let me, let me give me a few minutes to just introduce our next two guests. Uh, Dr. Eric uh, Potterat is co-author of Learned Excellence, Mental Disciplines for Leading and Winning from the World's Top Performers. The book comes out Monday. So uh, this is a high, high recommendation for everyone watching. Uh, Eric uh, is clinical and performance psychologist and uh, leading expert in individual and organizational performance optimization. Eric retired as a commander from the U.S. Navy after 20 years of service, during which he helped create the mental toughness curriculum used during Navy SEALs BUDS training. Unbelievable. Eric spent several years as director of specialized performance for the Dodgers, Red Sox need you, Eric, uh, and has also worked with Red Bull athletes, the U.S. women's national soccer team. I'm on the Red Sox advisory board, so I'm going to be calling you uh, uh, the Miami Heat uh, and numerous Olympic athletes uh, and, and NASA astronauts. Like Eric works with the best and brightest. Welcome, Eric, to, to Disrupt TV. Great to be here. Uh, and along with Eric, we have Alan Eagle, uh, also the co-author of Learned Excellence, um, Alan is uh, author and executive communications consultant on helping leaders and companies shape and tell their stories. Uh, he has spent nearly uh, two decades at Google, partnering with executives to communicate the company's stories to clients, partners, employees, and the public. He's a co-author of several books, including How Google Works and The Trillion Dollar Coach. Welcome, Alan, to Disrupt TV. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you for having us and get in line. I've been trying to get Eric to come work for my San Francisco Giants and uh, it's a tough time. Oh, I'm going to have the CIO of the Red Sox contact you, Eric, uh, shortly. Uh, so you no, can no, turn no, him no, down. No, we're going to have to fight for this. No comment. Yeah. <laughs> hey, to both of you, you know, this is really, really important book, right? Your book is about the mental discipline of the world's best performers. And if we could put ourselves into the minds of them, like what you have done, um, this is really how you get to understanding that level of performance. Um, so tell us about your backgrounds and how did you get to this level of expertise? Alan, what's your background behind this? And then of course, we'll jump to you, Eric. Well, I've been uh, working in Silicon Valley almost four decades. I worked for five different startups, two successes, uh, three failures. And then I spent the last 16 years at Google. And so, um, as you mentioned, I've written a couple of books and Eric came and gave a talk at Google uh, a few years ago and I approached him afterwards because I was just fascinated by the topic and it sort of made sense. My first book was about the management principles of Google. It was called How Google Works. My second book was about leadership and coaching in Silicon Valley about the world's greatest executive coach, Bill Campbell. And I feel like performance is sort of a, a, a sort of the next step. It's kind of the trilogy. So uh, that's how I came to be writing the book. 
uh, asked Eric, let's work on this together. And he said, yes. And here we are. That's an amazing partnership. Eric, tell us a little about your background as well. Yeah. So uh, as was stated, I, I did 20 years in the Navy. I was uh, the head psychologist for the Navy SEALs my last 10 years in. I then transitioned uh, to professional sport. I've worked with about 25,000 plus or minus uh, really incredible performers over my career. Um, and, and I just started to see uh, literally throughout my work with these men and women that they, they really are, are doing roughly the same things regardless of the discipline they're practicing. So whether it was first responders, military members, athletes, businessmen and women, surgeons, it just taught, you know, kind of stuck out, out of, off the page that, you know, they're, they're generally practicing the same mental techniques. And most of those are, you know, what makes elite versus non-elite is really uh, above the neck and between the ears. And the conclusion is, ironically, they're all learned disciplines. So this narrative of I can never do what he or she is doing because they were born that way, that really inspired me, you know, as a professional to, hey, I, I really want to get this message out that, you know, when you actually unpack and, and look, you know, under the hood, as it were, with these individuals, they're roughly doing the same thing. So Alan and I started this partnership and we interviewed about 32 uh, of the world's top performers in this book uh, from multiple disciplines, Cirque du Soleil, CIA, uh, athletes, surgeons, et cetera. And the reader is invited with you know, a mix of their stories and some research. And, and we make the, the strong evidence-based uh, approach that these, these practices are in fact learned. So, Eric, we had uh, Mike Hayes, who's the best-selling author of Never Enough, yeah, uh, and he led Navy SEAL Team B. So, two thousand men and women under his command served several tours, White House fellow a couple of times, and you read his book, and he talks about like not being athletic, and then as a SEAL, he's doing like fifty pull-ups, and 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 I, I read his book, and I've had the pleasure of spending time with him. He's a, a chief operating officer at VMware. Yeah, and I just I, first of all, my imposter syndrome kicks in like in overdrive. I'm like. I'm not one one hundredth of this guy. And then I, I compare him with other business leaders. I don't mean to sound disparaging towards business leaders, but I just feel like when you, for 20 years, like leading SEALs, and then you lead business professionals, I don't know how to ask this in a nice way. How big is the gap between, <laughs> I, mean, I, mean, I, I mean, how much do you have to go back and really slowly teach them how to achieve excellence when you have left the, the world's best, toughest men and women uh, doing work that's life mission critical, do uh, you have to really step back, or is there a common methodology that you that you yeah. use? Yeah. So well, let me just state: obviously, I'm I'm not a SEAL. I was their performance and clinical psychologist, but having worked with them, I can tell you the clearly the consequences are markedly different between what these men and women do in you know the special operations compared to business. However, when you look at the successful SEALs, successful businessmen and women, successful surgeons, it's athletes, the ingredients are roughly the same. They're very adaptable, they're adversity tolerant, their mindset approach is very similar. So uh, again, Alan and I, we navigate that through the book and we really you know, invite the reader to, to really understand these disciplines that are all consistently exercised um, and developed in these in these men and women who are the top performers on the planet. And I think as Crawford said, 
you know, this this world is 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 getting harder every day, right? It's the uncertainty is the understatement of the decade. And I think Alan and I do a reasonable job at providing a framework um, that's actionable, applicable, and practical uh, that anyone can apply regardless of your discipline. So yeah, and Eric and I were we were we were texting while we were listening to um Craw and Carmen talk and just to, we were kind of texting about how the stuff we talk about, the mental disciplines of performance are are even more important now. I mean, think about, okay, you're in a role where suddenly here comes this AI, GPT, generative AI, sort of uh, augmented uh, solution. Does it scare you or do you embrace it? You know, mm. do you lean into it? Do, do what, what mindset do you adopt? How do you, how do you integrate it into your process? Uh, every single discipline we talk about both applies to individual as well as cultural and organizational excellence but even more in this rapidly changing world with these new technology tools. That's amazing. I mean, you, you, you're coming from one of the most successful uh, companies on earth <laughs> and, and a Navy SEAL. And, and one of the fastest I mean, growing. I mean, this is where one plus one is three. Yeah, so adaptability, high rate of learning, good judgment. It's more critical than ever. Sorry, Ray, I know you have many questions to ask, but I'm just in <laughs> awe of both of you because you come from incredible backgrounds and this book is going to be, um, it needs to be on the desk of every business leader. Go ahead, Ray. And it will be on Monday when everyone gets a chance to get a hold of it. But in between, give us a sneak peek of what's going on with the mental approach that you describe in the book, because that's the heart and soul of some of those learnings. Yeah, there are really five main or core disciplines that we unpack in detail. And when you look at these best you know, performing men and women, again, irrespective of discipline, they are really uh, focused and they double and triple down on their identity and their values versus reputation. And I know that sounds at least at face a little touchy feely, but what they're doing is most of us throughout our lifespan, we care less and less about what others think as we age and stage, right? As we get wiser, we just get more comfortable in our skin and our identity. When you look at these elite performers, they just seem to have accelerated that. They manifest that faster where they just care less about blogs, fans, whatever, and they're focusing on those values. So we talk about that. Um, and then we move to really unpack mindset. Mindset is a, is a game changer. Um, and the irony is it's not innate. There's zero evidence to support that, you know, mindset is something you're born with. You choose your mindset. So we unpack that as well. Um, then we talk about process. These elite performers are definitely more process oriented than outcome oriented. Al and I will often say this, um, you know, we're dumb, but we're not stupid. We understand that outcomes are very important, but you need to focus on the recipe and the process to get there. And that's what these men and women are doing. Uh, two more, adversity tolerance. That's the big chapter for us and hmm. the tools and techniques on how these elite performers learned to manage high pressure, high performance situations. Things like pre-performance routines, visualization, tactical breathing, positive self-talk, all of those things are very empirically based and are used. Uh, and then lastly, balance and recovery. So what do you do to make sure that you stay in that cycle of high performance and you have the proper rest and recovery and balance? So, yeah, Ray, you need to read that section, Ray. <laughs> no, 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 because, because he logs like 400,000 miles a year. Like I, he's never on, he's more in the air than on earth. 
on ground. So, so anyway, anyway. Actually, so I don't know. Bar, I think, I think if we both have immigrant parents, we might have picked up some of these. It wasn't structured in the right way. <laughs> uh, listen, I, I'm, I'm an immigrant refugee, and yeah, it, hard work was never not an option. Yeah, yeah. So my parents. But this yeah, part, again, this part was the piece. You know, yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, do mental it. toughness. Yeah, yeah. When, when, when you're displaced from your birth country, it's pretty disruptive. So you learn to really quickly adapt and you have zero sense of entitlement. The world doesn't owe you anything. You got to just work for it. But anyway, uh, um, uh, how, how can you build this? Okay. For our audience, we have entrepreneurs, startup founders, folks that watch the show it, and, I, no, and there's no shortcut to excellence, but is there something that they can start with? You know, Monday, they get your book, they start reading. What can they do immediately to put themselves in the right frame of mind to, to be able to, not only read, but put your advice into practice. You know, Vali, you mentioned earlier the imposter syndrome. <laughs> and Eric and I interviewed uh, over 30 of these top performers. And for Eric, it was kind of just another day at work because he talks to them all the time. <laughs> and for me, I was I was slightly in awe of several of the incredible people that we talked to, uh, champion surfers, uh, Carly Lloyd, perhaps the best women's soccer player of all time, and, and so on. And each one of them talked about learning and applying these principles. Um, so it, it wasn't innate. And, you know, you ask which one to start with. Well, we start the book with talking about values and goals. And Eric has a very, um, uh, very specific exercise he goes through with each one of his clients, which is let's develop a values credo. What is, okay, we all say, okay, we want to we wanna work based on our identity and who we are and not care about our reputation. And then you go, okay, what is my identity? And you sort of know it. And if you're older, maybe you know it a little bit more. But the values creator process is actually writing it down. Uh, start with 10 or 20 uh, identity markers. Um, what are your values? What do you care about? What brings you joy? What brings you energy? Share it with people that you care about. Um, ruminate on it for a little while. And within a few weeks, you'll have a list of roughly 10 identity markers that really uh, are the basis of who you are. And so we talked to several people in the book who, when they get in a, like literally a, a, a cliff diver, when he gets on the top of the platform and he starts to worry about who, you know, who he is or what, what the hell is he doing up there? <laughs> he goes back to his identity credo, like recites it. And, and so this is just, and we have in the book, we have a 30, 60, 90 day plan um, because we have five disciplines and we have practices you can do with each discipline that you could start doing tomorrow but that's a lot of different things. So we say, okay, maybe you could start with the values credo and then, and, and the next one. And then Are you doing workshops in the space. I hope you, you start a podcast. Do you have a podcast? I mean, learned excellence would immediately be a Spotify number one podcast. Uh, something we haven't been able to achieve. We're in talks <laughs> to do both actually. Yeah. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Great breaking idea. news. I love breaking yeah. news. I, don't know. I think they know the publisher. I think they published my last book. Anyway. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's, that's amazing. That's awesome. Go ahead, Ray. Well, you know, related to that, I think this is really talking about how, what, what other things do you have to practice, right? Um, there's learning excellent disciplines that are important. Uh, what disciplines do you practice yourself? Like, what are things that you guys do, some of your favorites that you've picked up along the way, given the fact that you've worked with so many amazing people? Yeah, so, I think one that comes top to, top of mind for me is is really around mindset. We've heard a lot about mindset, obviously, the, the book Carol Dweck and her her fantastic work. But for me, in order to weaponize a mindset, I came to understand through working with these, you know, thousands of performers that the best performers have different mindsets for every role that they play. 
And I know that sounds a bit academic, but what I mean by that is think about a competitive athlete. An athlete gets paid to be competitive, gritty, relentless. Uh, and if they adopt that same mindset within a marriage, how do you suppose the marriage goes, right? Uh, or uh, with their children. So one of the first practices that I think Alan and I both practice that were really learned from these elite performers is when you look at the top men and women at their craft, they don't keep the same mindset for every role that they play. They shift the mindsets, right? They choose their they choose their mindset for a businessman and woman. They choose their mindset for how they're going to interact with their children, how they're going to interact with their communities, maybe on weekends playing sports, et cetera. So that's the first practice I would start with that, that we all get to choose. And it keeps that residue from various roles from bleeding into other roles, right? Oftentimes, and, people, and, pe and, and people are self-aware enough to know that off the field, on the field, they're different. And so you coach them to recognize that, you know, when you have the cleats and you're diving and you have scar tissue and all that, that's fine. But you can't have that same approach exactly. <laughs> at home or at work. Okay. That's, that's yeah, my experience. Just managing people. I, I find like self-awareness is a superpower. A lot of people just don't, they don't, they don't have it. I, I, I don't mean to generalize, but you're right. The exceptional people that I have the privilege of working with, they're exceptional people are very self-aware. So they know not to be in fifth gear, you know, in overdrive all the time. That's totally, that, that's remarkable. That's remarkable. So yeah. And, and um, when Eric talks about shifting mindset, you're like, okay, how do you, well, how do you do that? And we talk a lot in, in various practices in the book. It's simple things like just having a mantra or having a practice. And it sounds sort of corny, but in one of the stories in the book, we talk about how Eric was working with a, a Navy SEAL um, uh, a, a chief. And Eric told him, you know, worked with him to when he, when he's home from deployment, when he's brushing his teeth, say, I am home from deployment. I have a toddler. <laughs> it's a lot different than working with, you know, actually come up with a mantra like that. Say those same words every morning. And it sounds Amazing. silly, but it's really highly effective. And even, you know, we talk about uh, self-awareness or negative self-talk. Uh, negative self-talk starts to creep in. Tell yourself, no, uh, that is negative self-talk. I'm actually you know, good at this or whatever, like come up with a mantra. And these, these practices actually work to shift your mindset. I love that. I love that. I, I the new England Patriots need you, Eric and Alan, <laughs> uh, I, the Celtics, the Celtics are okay. They're doing okay. But I, I mean, not that, not that you don't need this, even if you're doing well, but uh, we're going to have we, all four CIOs are going to be on our podcast. The Bruins, the Red Sox, the Celtics and the Patriots. Cause I, I work yeah. with all of them. I can't wait to – I'm going to hand deliver your book to all four executives of these teams. I, I'm telling and, you, and for the audience as well, the biggest – The Sharks, Giants, and Niners that actually combat this. <laughs> Literally, the biggest differentiator between elite and non-elite is above the neck and between the ears. It, it is that simple. And, That's I mean, awesome. it's – I know it sounds cliche, but – um, you know, we, I think we have a process to really kind of, uh, you know, have a framework around that and, and create a lot, of, a lot of believers as a result. So Eric, That's Alan, awesome. we thank you for being here. They're authors of Learned Excellence, Mental Disciplines for Leading and Winning from the World's Top Performers. The book is out February 6th. Order it now, published by Harper Collins Business Press. So thank you so much for being on the show. And thank you both. Congratulations. You guys are awesome. Thank you. It's been a Thank pleasure. You. Thank, Thank you, so you guys. Thank you. I got to read that book. We got to get better. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, yeah. The good news is we can, Ray. We don't have to be seals. We can do this. Because no, <laughs> I know you can't do 50 pull-ups. Neither can I. Wow. Wow. I see them in the green room, but hey, what's it's, going on uh, with you? I mean, uh, summar summarize the show, Ray. For those who are tuning in now and want to invest an hour watching episode 351, summarize the show from one of our favorite guests, first ballot hall of fame to uh, three other guests that have absolute potential of being disruptive. The first ballot hall of famers. For, for those that used to listen to NPR, this is the stump, the chomp section. <laughs> <laughs> chomp. Wait, Ray has to summarize in 60 seconds or less. Go. So, hey, look, we've had 7,000 viewers really listening in and alive, and this has been crazy. Uh, Paul started with sharing what's happening in the economic forecast. And believe it or not, the biggest issue wasn't AI, it was actually cybersecurity, which was not pretty surprising. incredible. But there's so much emphasis. You know, GDP growth was sitting at about 1% to 2%, but IT tech spending, it's almost 6 to 7%. And I think it's going to be a good year for tech as well. So, we're seeing lots of things happen from tech adoption to future work, but that was probably probably some of the most in, insightful conversations about where we're headed next. Uh, then we actually got a chance to talk to Carmen. And what we're really talking about is that learning is changing. L&D is different in this age of remote work. Uh, employees are trying to figure out how to get to new skills. And those new skills are really you know, shifting the way we think about anything from you know, AI and safe ethical approaches, uh, trying to figure out how people learn in their own environments, and uh, more importantly, how people are actually figuring out how to learn new skill sets off the bat. We just finished out uh, talking to Eric uh, and more importantly, Alan really talking about this mental discipline that's needed. Uh, it's actually very, very important because what we're seeing is it's all in here and the top performers really have something really special in terms of this mental approach uh, that they're getting to. So uh, if you're following along, this is an awesome episode and rewind back and watch it again. So yeah, I'll be doing that this weekend for sure. Uh, thank you for that recap. Uh, so next week, um, yeah, buckle your seatbelts, bring your popcorn. We got uh, four incredible guests. Uh, Marta Cruz, co-founder, general partner at NXTP Ventures. Marta is uh, uh, joining us with Patricia Pastor, founder of GP Next Year Ventures and Next Year Ventures. So we've got incredible uh, investors talking to us about what's hot and what's going to reshape industry and industries and businesses. We have Raj Badaranath, chief marketing and product officer at Rootstock. Uh, an incredible uh, innovative SaaS uh, solution provider, and Patrick Hines, author of Failure is Not Not an Option. <laughs> Two knots, not not an option. <laughs> so uh, again, the best authors, the, I mean, again, last year we had 75 authors on our show, and we're on pace to maybe shatter that uh, this year um, already in, in early February. It's eight years of Disrupt TV, by the way. We launched February of 2016, so thank you for watching. Over 1,203 interviews during the last eight years, and we look forward to uh, getting to that 400-episode marker this year. Uh, if it's Friday, it's Disrupt TV. Thank you for watching. We'll see you next week. Yep. See you guys in the green room.
Amen. That 